Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode of the show is supported by Canyon Bikes and We Are One Composites. If you're thinking about a new downhill bike for the 2021 season and beyond, then the Canyon Sender is well worth a look. The new Sender launched in late 2020 and Canyon were kind enough to lend me one for a few weeks. It's fair to say that my favourite day of riding from the whole of last year was on that bike, on the amazing trails up in Inlethan. It's an incredibly capable downhill bike with World Cup level spec for the same price as a lot of mid-spec trail or enduro bikes. I found it really easy to get used to, which is helped by the fact that it's so light. It's also the quietest bike I've ever ridden, so they've worked some serious magic there. I'm not the most talented rider, but it enabled me to ride those trails with confidence, always knowing that the bike had my back. What's even better is that they've actually got them in stock, which is a rare thing in the bike world right now. So if a new downhill bike is on your list, then head over to canyon.com now and check them out. If you're a long-time listener to the podcast, then no doubt you'll have heard me talk about my love for Wheel One Composites wheels before. They are absolutely awesome though, and I ride the Faction 29ers and those things are dialed. You can tell that the crew at Wheel One have put a lot of love into them and the quality is second to none. Then you get to put them on your bike and go out riding and you get to feel the amazing job that the team have done balancing stiffness and compliance in the carbon layup. If you want to get yourself a set of stock Wheel One wheels or they're the packaged bar and stem, then downtime listeners get 15% off for the whole of January using the code 2021. Here we go. That's 2021. Here we go. All one word, all lowercase. It's nearly the end of January, so you've only got a few days left to head over to wheelonecomposites.com and grab yourself a great deal. To make sure you get every episode as soon as it's available, all you need to do is to subscribe. It's free, it's super easy to do with buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. Or there's probably a subscribe button in whatever app you're currently using to listen to this episode. So go there and hit subscribe right now. There's also a little newsletter where I'll send you links to interesting bike related articles and videos, show you some of the products I've been using and really enjoying and send you links to giveaways and competitions too. You can also join the newsletter while you're over on the subscribe page of my website. You'll then get an email with a confirmation link and you do need to click that link to be able to receive the newsletter. So make sure you check your junk mail after you sign up. For the super dedicated downtime listeners amongst you, we've got awesome organic t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies available at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. I've made sure that they're great quality, available worldwide, and they ship without any single-use plastics too. Make sure you give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. There you can keep up with what's going on and it's a great place for us to interact. I really enjoy hearing from you lot and I like reading your comments and getting your thoughts on things. So please get in touch there. It's always great to hear from you. All right, this week on the show, I'm joined once again by Fabian Burrell. I always enjoy chatting with Fabian as he clearly has a huge passion, energy, and deep understanding of the sport. Today we're catching up on the 2020 season and finding out how he feels their EWS and downhill teams got on. He shares some tips on how to increase your peak speed on the bike. We chat about his thoughts on the evolution of the do-it-all trail bike and where he sees that going in the future. And we also get Fab's thoughts on the 2021 season and what we've got in store. So without further ado, here's Fabian Burrell. Fabian Burrell, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Things are brilliant. Thank you uh, for the the good times again and being able to uh, to actually share some very interesting discussion. Looking forward to it, Chris. Excellent. Yeah. So let's uh, let's catch up a little bit about what went on in the 2020 season. Um, and before the the EWS and the World Cups even kicked off, you got into a little bit of racing yourself, didn't you? I think you raced uh, a French downhill cup and the P2V Invitational in Leger. Did it feel good to be back between the tape? Yeah, it, it was. It was actually. Uh, unexpected but you know we had a very bizarre 2020 season and uh we we did some very interesting work with the riders and we had some doubts and uh being back in between the tape with those boys was uh, was actually great fun i shouldn't do that too much or i'd be too excited surely <laughs> <laughs> how do you approach racing these days then because you know i'm guessing you're not going for the win but you're a very competitive guy in your nature how do you how, yeah how do you approach it well, I, I have to say that it's quite a hard one. It took me quite some time to find a distance of, of, uh, on the understanding of not committing just because 
not being as physically ready, even mentally ready to be able to uh, to go full gas. Uh, it took me some time, so I um, I, I waited, as you could see, a few years before I could actually uh, allow myself to do so. And uh, I, I have an approach where I really try to um, to bring my experience, uh, my the, the, the rhythm, the, the line choices to the riders more than just performing myself. And uh, I would say when it's the moment to hit the clock on the on that day, I I just try to put a good run together and enjoy it basically yeah and you've not been tempted to uh have a go at the ews e-series like some of your proteges yeah well for sure it'd be very interesting but i i have to say that i'm very passionate on on sharing and passing my knowledge on um now more than uh than trying to be uh to be pushing as, as a pro athlete uh even if for sure it's uh, it's always tempting because your ego is like oh come on let's go we give a push, we get the aggressivity out there and we, uh, we get on the gas. Um, but I like what I do now and I, I do believe that there is a time for everything in life and, uh, and passing on to, to Jack, to Dean and, uh, and to obviously, uh, Troy and Mark and, uh, all the other riders, the, the possibility to perform and progress is something that I'm very excited about as well. Cool. And you had a, you had a pretty nasty looking crash at one of the EWS rounds, I think in the, in the practice, didn't you? you was it a bit of an over the bars in some rocks? Well, yeah, that's definitely one I, I remember because uh, I was, I was just right there. And you know, that's, that's exactly the typical mistake of lack of focus, not trying to go fast, actually going slow, completely in the wrong line. And just, just, just a lack of presence on the bike and went over the bar very stupidly. And, uh, and to be honest, um, I'm, I'm still suffering from the wrist, uh, that I injured very badly on that day. Nothing very broken, but no one could really find out what it was. And, uh, there is a good chance that I will get a surgery within the next days on it. So, uh, so it's, it's, I'm still suffering from it. It was actually quite nice to hear, right? Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that because I was going to say it, you've had a lot of pretty, bad injuries in your time and i'm guessing it takes a while to recover because your body's relatively kind of beaten up i suppose from your racing days yeah you're totally right it's uh i'm i'm only 40 but i did eat quite some trees <laughs> and, uh, just for the reason of uh, of commitment that we actually uh, actually we actually mentioned before when i was racing i was racing full gas i was giving it all and i was taking the risk needed because my only aim was to win like i was not interested to be second third and not interested by consistency i was really there to every weekend try to win and be the best which uh which was uh, which was uh, great at the time, but I, I have to say that now uh, the body has to be taken care of <laughs> clearly. And um, yeah, on, on on that crash, it was actually uh, pre pretty stupid, and uh, actually it was very surprised that I was full fully correct after this because I banged my head and my shoulder and my my right my left arm really um, really badly. Uh, but unfortunately, a small ligament between the scaphoid and the lunar central bone of the wrist has been has been completely pulled off. So I might need to to get uh, like a little screw and and this pulled back and uh, and it will be unfortunately probably about five to six weeks off the bike at this time so uh, i hope we can go away from it but um to be honest more exam we're doing and uh, more i'm uh, i'm scared that it's not gonna happen oh man that's a shame well hopefully uh hopefully it's able to get fixed at least and, uh, and get you back feeling good on the bike let's let's talk a little bit about um about the teams themselves you mentioned that there was a lot of pre-season work that went on and a few issues to resolve what sort of stuff were you guys working through in that that kind of time in europe before the before the races kicked off or before the the, the ews and downhill world cups kicked off well, we all know that 2020 season has been a bit awkward, right? Uh, obviously, the COVID didn't help traveling, so it didn't help to get everyone together properly the way we wanted it. And as you imagine, there is um, there is a need of proximity to reset every time we see each other the work we're doing physically, technically, and mechanically on the bike. And uh, because of the lockdown and the, the lack of traveling, we have riders in Canada, riders in Australia, and a bit everywhere around the world, and being able to to get this proximity, even if we have great connecting now with, uh, with, with, uh, with internet, it's hard. You're still not physically with them and not able to, to control it and support the work with them. So I would say when everyone got back in Europe, um, after the lockdown, uh, everyone was there, everyone trained, everyone tried to do their prep, but they train on the same track at home 
not so much diversity and it's really easy to get lost if you don't stay focused on your on your season and racing references and um in this case uh, we we did have some uh, some work that needed to get done uh, it was bang on the moment where we changed the bike as you probably know with the new sender etc so so it's been it's been few things that we had to dial to be able to i would say found our proper pace around uh, world's time and uh, the two rounds of world cup we had so it was it was uh, a bit complicated and i do hope that uh, this winter is not going to be the same because of the second wave yeah definitely for sure let's talk a little bit about the racing and we'll start off with the ews and um we'll start with jack moore he was a, a late sign into the team right well it wasn't it wasn't really super late uh because we start on discussion quite early uh, but it, it it took some time obviously to get things together and to officially announce it so I would say that he was fairly on time at the moment we had the discussion with him and, and, uh, it, it was, it is a great add to the team. Um, obviously from his riding skills and, uh, what he brings, uh, technically to, 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 to the, to the team and to the performance of everyone, but also the human synergy is bringing on like the, the team atmosphere, um, on the downhill as much as the enduro side is actually super good. And, uh, I do feel that as a, as a key point of success also for the rider to perform definitely and you you know you turn up at a snowy cold zermatt it's not necessarily somewhere where you'd expect an aussie rider to go particularly well but first kind of ews of his of his ews career i guess now and he lands himself in fourth place we were you surprised with that result well, we, we, we obviously, uh, analyzed properly, uh, where, where he was coming from. And he did some EWS in the past as a DH racer as well. Um, I was knowing obviously the guy and knowing his technical skills. And, uh, I do, um, I, I do consider now the team to have serious competencies at many levels, uh, to, uh, to help the riders to perform as much as, uh, transforming a DH racer into an enduro, uh, uh, rider in terms of physical preparation because this was the key point so i i was imagining that if we could give him the the physical keys his uh his technical skills and commitment will actually make a great combination to uh to perform and this was only the first step and i imagine that we can go way further with him in terms of performance with uh when i see the the physical uh, capacity that he's got and obviously the technical skills and competencies um uh, mentally that he's got on his approach of racing as you said in, in Zermatt he was he was a tough one uh, because of the weather because of the fact they changed the tracks in last minute uh, weather COVID circumstances etc was making it very very complicated and he's been super solid and very constant on his, on his racing approach which which make, made actually great result all season long yeah definitely we, yeah, we moved from there to Pietra and, uh, and Jack comes and takes his first EWS podium coming home in third. You know, you've got to be super happy with that. And I think, was it that round where you were giving him a little bit of encouragement on the track that sort of went a bit viral? <laughs> that was, that was actually the, the, the weekend after in finale that I was, that I was doing so, okay. but, uh, but he was, uh, yeah, he, uh, as, as I said, he, uh, he know where he's going and I know what he, he, he knows clearly also what he wants and where he wants to go. And, uh, I, um, for the first winter with him uh, at the time i was i was very very surprised by his professionalism and his uh, and his approach of the preparation before racing i didn't expect that i have to say uh, i was without a doubt confident with his skill but i didn't know much about his his prep approach and um, and he's a super pro guy above the fact of being very friendly and casual with everyone and uh it, it does fit the sport amazingly well and uh and and the team and uh yeah we definitely look forward to to few few more years with him and hopefully bring him where we want to yeah and i think uh, i think jack even credited that third place in in finale Ligure to your support on that little climb <laughs> towards the end it must uh, well, it must, it see- must help to have your team manager there <laughs> I, I I must say that the only thing he can credit is, is his win on the stage because he probably wouldn't have. But uh, but the, the, the podium he has done, he can credit it only to himself. Like he does plenty of effort and um, 
uh, we have a new physical coach since two years within to the team and they bang those guys really hard because he was my personal coach in the past and I, I know uh, how many hours and how much uh, dedication he's asking us to do to to perform and uh, and having uh, having him following this was already a first very very big pride for me and uh, him, him having great results and proving that the work we we we're doing with him he's actually working is uh he, he was even better and uh yeah running after him uh, in that climb was just uh, the cherry on the top of the cake to actually <laughs> bring him what i wanted to <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's super impressive right because he's i guess had to significantly change his his training to to transition from a, a dh focus to more of an ews focus although he's still racing very well in the downhill side of things that that to do that in one off season as well that's got to show a lot of potential given a, another off season under his belt coming into 2021 and and further years he must have you know the ability to be at the very very sharp end of the the ews stuff well um, i i have to to be honest with you that in my analysis when when we we look and, and discuss with him about the potential to go in, into EWS. Um, I, I look at his physical shape. If like if that was, I would say a proper downhill rider. Let's say like Bulldog. You take someone like Brooke McDonald that is you know heavy and tough guy that has actually got the, the body shape that suits completely the downhill sport. Moving someone like like Brooke into Andrew would be a lot harder. Even if he's got the, the power, could have graves, but you still would have to need to have a massive cardio to bring this this weight and and around. And I'm taking it as an example, but I could take plenty of that. But you would take someone like like Minar or like Jack that is obviously uh, not so muscly and more lean. Uh, you you have a different base of start to to bring it into more of a, of a cardio type of sport like enduro. So I would say that okay. in the approach, you're not starting at the same base. And what we uh, what we did with Jack and what we analyzed with him is that right away there was there was a potential there, and um, and actually the the, the 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 biggest strength above his skills and the potential of physical capacity that we didn't expect is his mental strength. He's always an happy guy, always super positive, confident in what he is doing and in choices making. And this is um, is actually great to work with. Fantastic. And uh, Dimitri went well as well in um, in Pietra, I think, ended up in fourth. So it's awesome having your riders in third and fourth. But is there is there a rivalry building there? And is that a healthy thing? Well, f- first of all, yeah, Dimitri is um, is is a young kid from from home for me, and uh, and trying to build him and and bring him forward is uh, is actually is actually big to me and big to my heart. Um, he's been proving doing amazing the last two years, finishing fourth and fifth or fourth and fourth of the, on the overall. So his consistency and what we're building there is is uh, is is definitely going good. We uh, we have. Um, I think a bit of work to try to develop his peak speed, but you should see how skillful, talented, and, uh, and, and great style to watch when you ride with him. And, uh, I, I do hope that we can bring him uh, out there. And in terms of rivalry, uh, rivalry in, into the team, sorry, I don't pronounce that pretty well in English, but it's, uh, it's actually, uh, it's actually, uh, not happening at all. Like the guys completely understood that the race, the race against the clock and the best will win. And, uh, it, it is not the case in, in the age and it's even less in Andrew. There is a great atmosphere and everyone is dragging and pulling each other to the top and, uh, and supporting each other. And, uh, I, I'm pride, really proud to say that, uh, I really feel the team like a big family now, which is, which was important to me. Nice. Yeah, that's good to hear. So yeah, the, you wrap up the EWS season and like I said, some good results in there for, for everyone involved. And then it's on to Worlds uh, in Leergang. Again, pretty awful weather, especially coming from the Italian Riviera. What were your thoughts on the on the track and the situation when you got there? Well, the, the first thing is like what you need to know about Leergang is that um, uh, it's been many complaints over the year that the track was too easy. And it was really hard to make the difference because uh, it was uh, it was so on the edge that everyone was riding the same speed. So it's been many years for asking to have something for more technical. So which which they did, <laughs> they put uh, they put a steeper wood, fresh, loamy, uh, absolutely great design with big jumps at the end, etc. They, they did what rider was expecting to do, 
But unfortunately, they did it the only year where we have a lockdown that pushed the event all the way to October almost or late, yeah. late September. And you are in the middle of the Alps, in the middle of Australia. <laughs> and you know that there is 90% of chance that you will have rain. So if there was a year to not do this change, it was this one. And unfortunately, uh, well, you know the story. It was a bit of a, of a chaos, first of all, uh, in terms of image, in terms of media. It, it was a bit pathetic to watch and, and not the great appearance of the sport we would, uh, we would want to have towards the general public. So this was the, the major issue. And in terms of racing, I, I would say you cannot say that it was random, uh, but it, I would I wouldn't say that it was a pure reflection of of riders' performance because we had massive track evolution from the moment it was raining until the point it stopped raining and then it became a lot more sticky. So for sure, riders' condition were not similar for everyone, and that doesn't take away anything from what Reese has done, which was absolutely amazing because he was on the gas all training. He commit took some risk and uh, and he did a, a great run based on the condition. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was it was impressive, but yeah, like you say, a lot, a lot going on, and and your guys, I would say, went pretty good in the grand scheme of things. And again, we'll start with Jack, and I'm guessing for him, he's feeling relatively little pressure on his shoulders at this point, with EWS being the main focus for him. Um, did you kind of have expectations for Jack? What what were you hoping for from him? Because he ended up delivering a pretty awesome sixth place. Yeah, well, at, at the beginning, uh, to be honest, if that was going to be dry, it would it would have been a bit harder for Jack. Uh, that than when we saw the condition getting getting very very ticky, tacky, uh, tacky and and tacky, sorry, and um, and we saw the condition getting bad, we we did understood that clearly the track was going to be longer, requiring more physical capacity and also more flow and uh, in, into the run and uh, and and more and, and re- real lucidity through the run that you wanted to have so it was not the intensity of a dh run in a way you expect due to those heavy condition and at this point i was like well clearly if someone can uh, can can be out there and can and can challenge himself through this is uh, is jack because with the experience he had the time he had riding in Zermatt in, in those muddy conditions. And also before that, we did uh, almost 10 days in, in Morzine riding in the mud with him. And, uh, and, and yeah, it, it was not so much of a surprise for me, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. He must have been pretty stoked with that, though. That's, uh, that's an awesome result. Yeah, he was actually. He, he was actually. And yeah. so, and, and so we are because uh, we, if you look, I think we have four, six, eight, and 10th, if I'm yeah. correct, or 11th or something like that. 17th was it with Kai I think 17th oh, was Kai and, and uh, yeah and uh, yeah and we have Fatani yeah yeah and we have Loris Revelli as well that is uh, that is placed somewhere ah, I think yeah so so anyway yeah, yeah. yeah we 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 had a very I would say we had a very good world because at the end we managed to have everyone pulling on a good run and be on the proper pace and uh, I, yeah. I, I'm only saying that uh, we we did put a lot of things together and manage based on the lockdown and distance we had at the beginning of the season between each other without being able to work properly. I, I would say that we we did a good work for uh, for 2020. For sure, and yeah, that uh, it was a really good result for Mark there taking fourth place. Is that the sort of conditions that suit him? I guess coming from uh, from where he does in Canada, like he's used to riding in the wet, yeah. Yeah, well, definitely the condition was shooting him. And uh, also, he managed to find the right commitment at the right place of the track. When you have saturated conditions, what you need to know is that there is a massive difference of rhythm uh, from corners to corners. When everything is very dry, I would say that uh, you find a certain consistency in the energy and the commitment you put into your run is, I would say, pretty constant all the way down. But in those type of condition, there is moment where you, you are able to attack because even if it's wet, you have grip and, and you have the possibility to handle the bike. But some situation where you really need to be careful and really be on the brake and, and slow down and mentally, energy-wise and even chemically in your body, this is really hard to anticipate. And that's what Mark did well there. And that's what people that are used to ride in the wet are capable to do compared to people that are more okay. obviously drier condition riders. Yeah. Yeah. And that track, I guess, has, it, it's almost magnified as well because it had so many, or has so much difference between sections of it. Like you've got really steep, really muddy wooded stuff. 
much harder packed almost bike parky stuff out in the open and then some of the the kind of intermediate stuff there's a lot of variation in the style across that track yeah so you've really got to be able to change pace quite quickly exactly and 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 obviously the energy and the intensity physically that you put in the section is also dependent of what you just mentioned so this is this is clearly i think was one of the key of success of uh of uh, of this race from there yeah yeah and then let's talk a bit about troy i mean he looked like he was on an absolute flyer of a run i think he was either fastest or very much up there through the motorway section um and came into the woods at a hell of a pace and it, it nearly worked, didn't it? But I think was there was some roots that that maybe hadn't come out before or had got a lot wetter that caught him out coming on that right-hander into the woods. Yeah, well, um, I mean, you can imagine that the strategy was Troy was slightly different than the other, where I, I told him, I said, well, it's, it's, it's win or not. There is no, like, uh, like the, you, you go for this run, you, especially in those conditions, uh, you, you aim, you aim for winning, uh, when, when, when you are at the level of Troy and, and you, you don't, you don't hold back, right? You don't try to complete the run. You try to make the best run, which is a completely different approach. And that's what he did. He commit really heavily on all the section. He managed to, uh, to do great, especially before the motorway. He was a very tight technical, uh, corner within to the, within to the stumps with, with big roots. And uh, he, he managed to handle that okay, even if not at best like Riz could have done. But he did manage to put some heavy pedal stroke, which was the strategy to be able to carry amazing speed onto the motorway. And yes, his time was right up there all the way into the entrance of the wood. Um, one thing that we, we did notice and we mentioned that to all the athletes is that when you when you were entering into the woods, even if there was a, a bit of a grey weather and it was raining, you, you had a big light difference. Like the, door, the, the wood was really, really dark when entering was in the light. So you go from the open all the way into the wood and exactly at this point you were jumping landing in an off camber where there was roots and yes the roots has been appearing and changing and surely troy commit with a, a little more a little more sauce that he should have had uh, but i would say it's part of the game you can't you can't ask the riders um and and, and complain when they when they push on the gas it's part of the goal and uh, i would say that troy did it's great, especially that after this crash, he completed his lines and the technical section in the best way. He did great, and uh, without this crash, he would have done he would have done amazing. And uh, I'm not complaining when when he's crashing. Like I, I'm more complaining when he's being too consistent than when he's crashing. It's it's part of the game, and uh, it's clearly something that uh, Troy has been understanding over the over the last years. Um, that's what. Uh, a Loic Bruni, an Amory Piron, or even a Greg Minor is definitely uh, capable to do when it's the moment to get on the go. Uh, and uh, and those guys, uh, those guys get you know this little extra sp- uh, pace that that get the win out there. And that's what we're working on, and that's what he did on this day. So Troy did great. Yeah, it was impressive to see how quickly he recovered that and got back on pace in the woods because a lot of the riders, even the really big names that struggled and had crashes in that lower wood section. Uh, once they'd been down they sort of struggled to get back on it and maybe that's because i don't know maybe they got palms covered in mud i'm not sure but um yeah, yeah I think, troy uh, seems yeah. to just get straight back on and back on pace i think i think he, he was he was a crash and this is something unfortunately you can't always anticipate but it was a crash where he, he just fall on the side and he's been smart enough just to put the hip and the elbow and not putting his hand there so basically okay. he, gra- he grabbed he grabbed the bike back on i don't i don't think even his grip went into the dirt so he, he just grabbed the bike back on and, and luckily the corner after was a really slow corner. And what he's been, he has been really good at is most of the time when you stand back up and you commit, you try not to gain the time you lost, but you try to get back on the bike a bit excited to go on, which he didn't. And he actually has been careful on the, on the corner after to get back onto a proper pace. And that's where you see how, how pro Troy can be in, in his approach, in his racing. And, and again, is uh that's the reason he's one of the, of the best riders in the world yeah for sure and from from wells you move on to uh the the double headers in in maribor and lusa and um i mean jack went pretty well i think in in maribor and then and then headed back off to australia to get through all the quarantine side of things yes correct but ne- i guess neither mark or troy quite quite seem to be where you would expect them to be in maribor or lusa like and that seems crazy because you know asking what's going on with Troy when he's getting fifth and sixth places seems mad, but we're so used to seeing him in that, 
that top three at least. Were there any particular issues for those guys or anything they were struggling with? I mean, it's a, it was an odd season, but yeah, on the, on, on, on the mark there? on mark situation, we know we uh, we are missing a bit of peak speed just on pure riding. Uh, we've seen that when he was riding the crankworks in um, in uh, in August in Canada. Uh, for some reason and we, we've seen that and that's one of the main reasons also why I got on the bike riding DH with them is and we've seen that when they arrive here on the DH bike uh, he, he did great at the world but we do know we have some winter work to do to increase his peak speed and his commitment on the bike um, to be to be able to ride at the pace he, he wants so uh -huh. on Mark's side I would say the world was more of a surprise than unfortunately Maribor and Luza where we kind of expect this to happen uh he's super strong physically he's riding amazingly well uh, uh in, ter in terms of of technical of technicity technicity and, and how he handles the bikes etc we're just missing peak speed and that that we know we're talking about probably two seconds a minute which is a lot two to two and a half seconds a minute uh which which is too much for world cup level and that's something we're working on one of the the thing with Troy is that, um, as we said, go, going back uh, from this very long off season and the lockdown, we knew that we had some uh, some different pace to find, and uh, and uh, a lot of work needed to be done. And uh, staying at home and obviously riding his local trails uh, has not been also ideal because we do know that World Cup track is pretty unique and hard to find anywhere you live, uh, except uh, obviously if you live in a very bike park location where you go very high average speed you must generally ride tracks that are too slow so um even if you're not them like the back of your hand when you're home it, it's not like going away and do and do races and different tracks and things like this so we we did find the right pace and did some good settings and and managed to get um a really good speed at the worlds but right away after maribor and uh, and the first race in lusa we could see that we were pretty much maxed out of what could be done. So we, we did some radical changes for the last, um, last run of the season in Lusa, which actually showed us a lot more potential. And I do expect uh, our winter work to actually bring us uh, higher than where we were. We were. Ah, interesting. Are you able to share any of the changes that you made? Yeah, well, uh, th there is nothing, nothing um, to top secret. I mean, the, the bike itself is 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 a massive step forward on, on many aspects, and I do believe that we have a very, very competitive bike. Um, but now we all know that Troy um, is as as a, as a gabarit that is pretty unique, where he's obviously very small compared to most of uh, of his competitors, and uh, and finding the right ratio, especially with the new trend of the twenty nine, uh, has been a bit of a challenge. We we found it and realize unfortunately only going into racing that um, that the max speed that we had at the time uh, was not high enough and we uh, we went back for the last round to to an hybrid version of the of the bike that was actually shooting is uh, is attacking mode a lot more and giving us not the same peak speed for the same effort but more potential to actually get faster and and this is what we found here yeah. Okay. When you say hybrid, you mean uh, mixed wheel size? Yep, twenty nine, twenty seven, five. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay, interesting. Fair play. And yeah, so I guess it's just super hard for him back in Australia to really, like you say, get the level of trail that he needs to be riding on. I suppose. Hence, I would, I would, hence all the work. I would say it's not only in Australia. I would say it's um, it is actually everywhere. Like I, okay, like I live in the best one of the best parts in the world for riding. And getting actually a proper World Cup track that is actually having the average speed of a World Cup track that is ridden and clean like a World Cup track, which means that there is hundreds, maybe thousands of passages on the track on the weekend. That's something you don't have. You take a track, if there is only two riders that are riding on one day and that it's not a track that is riding every weekend, um, most of the time it's slower in average speed and it's not clean enough to attack properly. So you mm -hmm. end up actually riding enduro with a DH bike more than actually doing proper <laughs> DH World Cup style. If you're yeah, the, yeah, that makes I mean. sense. So this this compromise and this analysis is definitely something that we need to uh, we need we need to approach properly. And uh, I think it's the case of most riders around the world. And for anyone that listen, I hope they take that as a valuable information because yes, we do need to train World Cup rider at World Cup speed. 
And uh, if you take World Cup skiing, they are on the same track and they train on the same track that they would do for race. If you look at motocross, they ride on the same track that they would do for race. In downhill, it's miles away of being the case. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And you, you mentioned earlier with Mark that you needed to do some work in the off season on kind of adding some peak speed, like as a rider that would love to add a bit of peak speed to their ability. How do you go about that? You, you make it sound very simple. Well, we just need to add some peak speed, but are there any well, steps to go through to get there? It will seem completely silly what I'm going to tell you, but it, it is actually factual. <laughs> the only way to get a uh, higher peak speed is to actually slow down and reset the base of your riding. Because, okay. because when you, when you are maxed out on, on your level and then your competencies while you're riding, you're not riding with your brain. You're riding with your instinct and with what you know what to do. So mm-hmm. you are riding with a technique that is already mindly and, and physically integrated. If I'm correct. And what you want, what you want is to basically reset the base, reset your feet position, reset your body masses, understand why your arm and legs are at this point and why your wrist is bent a certain way, why your hand is at this point of the handbar. Reset, resync those, reput the basics together to actually regain a certain flow, accept to do very early braking, to understand that the first aim and goal is to get outside speed of the corners and then put all that puzzle together at maybe 60, 70% of your speed. And once everything is understood, once everything is integrated and instinctive, then you go faster again. And that's how you rebuild speed speed. Uh, interesting. So yeah, slow down, relearn or or make some changes and then yeah. get back up to speed. I, I will. I will give you an example. If um, if physically, I'm asking you to train hard every day. At some point, your your body is going to give up. Yeah. At some point. So clearly, there is a necessity for you to actually accept to slow down, rest, to be able to go again, and that's this compensation that actually makes the efficiency of your training. And the off season for me is this exact same approach. It's actually being capable to slow down, compensate from what you've been learning, put everything on the ground. And once everything is settled, rebuild from there. Let's be honest. Uh, a building of fifth floor, if you want to build it to 10th floor, you need to re-go to the base, make it larger, make it more settled, and build again all the different floors. Yeah. And I think physically, technically, it's exactly the same basic approach. Cool. Interesting stuff. Nice one. All right. And uh, you also, in uh, in 2020, you added the, the FMD crew onto yeah. the Canyon Collective as well. How did yeah. that go from your perspective? Uh, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting adventure. Uh, f- first of all, uh, we are very lucky to have the great people on board. Uh, you, you do know, and I was explaining that for me, I'm, I'm willing to give everything and to give it all in my experience and everything. But you do understand that for me, um, it, it needs to be done with, with people that I respect and, and, and with good human being, which, uh, which is, which is the case, miles of it. Like Jack is a great ad, as, as we mentioned, but the, all the, the Seagrace family is, is absolutely great to hang out with and to, uh, to have a good time from Tony all the way, obviously, to Tani and, and Chaos. So, uh, so this is a great experience. I mean, they are very young. They, um, they are full on talent and they are full of instinct to get back to the previous topic. And, uh, and it's absolutely great to, um, to have this freshness uh, around the group and to have the possibility to use all this talent uh, with a more of a rational experience to build from it. And uh, I would say that we are very lucky. It's, um, we didn't get the, the result expected with Tani, but again, uh, back from an injury, very complicated season, really hard to work properly the way we wanted, uh, etc. It's been, it's been a bit of a challenge uh, there, but uh, I do expect we, we can definitely do great with them. Yeah. Yeah. There's been some sort of critique of Tani's results, but from my perspective, I'd say it's a pretty impressive and, and measured return to racing. There was no need for her to go crazy and try and prove anything and get hurt. She seemed to take quite a, yeah, just a measured approach to getting back up to pace, which I guess puts her in a good place for, for 2021, right? 
Yeah, I, I think, I mean, critique is always constructive. It's always good to have, uh, but it's also very easy from, from the outside. Um, I think, unfortunately, uh, people are all taking numbers and, and, uh, and at the end, it, humans are racing, right? It's, it's not just a pure, pure rational and number story. And, uh, she did absolutely amazing coming back from, um, from injury at the world in, uh, in Monsenan, which was absolutely brilliant. Be- being second behind Miriam was actually a great comeback from a shoulder and right away she injured a foot. She spent all the, the lockdown period to rehabilitate herself and refine a certain balance and a certain pressure. And, um, and yeah, I'm honest with you that there was a goal of result. There is always a goal of result, but my, the most important thing for me is to rebuild confidence and build trust. Mm-hmm. It's a new bike. It's a new foot that she's got with a new ankle, with, um, with a new mindset. Uh, we all know that we are different every day because obviously the experience day by day is different and we need to have, to build from there. And, uh, and I think she's, um, she's absolutely a very, very good and great woman to, to actually settle things down to be able to build something solid for her own future. And that's what she's doing. And she did absolutely great on the end of the season. And, uh, and, uh, and I do expect her to, to do even better in the years to come. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Something else new from uh, from Canyon in 2020 was the the new Spectral 29er, which is sort of aimed at being the ultimate trail bike, like the ultimate do everything bike, I guess. And I'd like to sort of chat a little bit about that. But before we get to that bike specifically, what do you think are some of the kind of technology and product evolutions that we've seen over the last five or ten years that have enabled us to have better and better bikes that are capable of doing so much? Well, without, without going back to a topic that we probably uh, approach in, a, in, in another podcast together, but yeah, we are on permanent evolution. The, the cycling market, the mountain bike market is, um, is growing massively. And, and luckily we attract a lot more interest of people for one reason is that now we are capable to have, um, bikes that are really capable to do everything. Like back in the day, you had a downhill bike and a cross country bike. And, and today is the, the bike that you're riding today. They, they can do everything. They can go up. They can go down. They are light enough to pedal. They are stable enough to attack in the downhills and provide the stability needed. And, uh, and the spectral is definitely built in that direction to be the ultimate trail bike and just be able to pop whenever you want, but pedal two hours or three hours, very long climb, carry the bike on your shoulder or even do a backflip if you want. Um, the, the that's the first. And the first bike of the range, uh, in, uh, with the new kinematic that is based on the very, very first approach that we had with the sender. So already back, back few years back now. And, um, the suspension is providing great support. It's actually giving you energy back when, when you actually get into, uh, into impact. So above having a lot of sensitive sensitivity at the beginning of the travel, it does provide a lot of support to create actually energy out of the impact and, and make the bike super playful. And, um, for sure, the bikes are okay. having a massive evolution. And I think a lot of the brands have been changing the geometry for that. We, uh, I think look, the cross country bike has been very inspired from the road back in the days. And you went into cross country, then the, the cross country geometry went into, into, uh, into the, into the downhill bike side as well. And, and it took a lot of time to realize that we needed longer reach and slacker and angle and bigger wheels and bring all that together. And, um, and this evolution and permanent evolution make, make the bikes, uh, just more viral to, to ride everywhere. And, uh, that's definitely what we wanted to aim uh, with the spectral to, uh, to have a bike that could, we could do everything with it. Yeah. What's your involvement in, uh, in the spectral project then? How do you get, how do you partake in that? Well, yeah, it really depends on the project we're working based on, on how much, um, uh, capacity and competencies they need. What, what you need to know is that, um, the generations of bike that we're riding now have been inspired by all the work we have been doing in downhill. And this is something that we've been, uh, been learning over the past is that, um, the, our gravity bikes were really inspired by the Formula One technology that from my perspective, downhill will always stay there. And, um, the, my participation in the spectral is, uh, is obviously the involvement on the curve, the involvement on the geometry. That is, uh, for me, one of the key points of evolution also of the bike and, uh, and all the construction of the chassis. Um, then obviously all the, the spec part and the, the, the definition 
uh, chart of the bike is uh, is definitely made internally with Canyon, and uh, above all this, we uh, we implement all the terrain testing here to be able to make sure that the product is performing enough and re- reliable enough, obviously on the long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why why 150 mil travel then for a bike like this? Do you think that's the sweet spot for a do everything bike? Because there's there's various different schools of thought. I think there's the like the maybe the 130 mil bikes that are kicking around that people are saying are very versatile but then you've got like paul aston riding i think 210 mil travel uh bike everywhere that he claims is is perfectly fine like where where do you think the sweet spot is why have you ended up at 150 i think the travel is um is really evaluating the sweet spot of travel is evaluating over the year obviously based on on the the curve the compression curve and the capacity we have to do in, into the suspension itself as much as the weight of the bike things has been evaluating like back in the days uh, you would have looked at um, no enduro bike below 160 or 170 and then we went to 29 and we realized okay we can go 130 140 but then you quickly realize that actually increasing the travel with the bigger wheels is also very interesting but then you don't want to have a bike too heavy to carry then come the construction of the bike and the possibility to have the the carbon structure to have a lighter frame but also maybe slightly increasing the, the the pedal kickback to have a better pedaling bike and more energy and allow yourself to have more travel so all that has been taken into consideration to say okay where are we going what what do we want to do and yes today with the let's say the competencies we have in terms of design the compet- the, the, the 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 what we can aim in terms of targets of weight etc i do believe that 150 is a very sweet spot with the 29 inch wheels to have a bike that can actually be almost raced in enduro to uh, being able to go into a slope style to uh, all the way do simple trail riding with a super light bike and this travel seems to me um, the, the really maximal capacities of of, of going everything yeah yeah and this, the spectral's got a bit longer as well in reach with the with the new yes. version do you yeah, think yeah. that that, that kind of helps its versatility because i guess the reach extended reach is going to make it more stable downhill more stable at speed but it's not really adding too much on weight and it's not really compromising too much on climbing is that one of the keys to success for a, a good do-it-all bike yeah surely surely and the 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 the, the front center and the reach of the bike is is making first of all the, the stability uh, of the bike at high speed and so on allow you to have um, less uh, suspension travel because your body masses are more centered and allowed, obviously, the, the bikes to play under your body masses. So your body masses stay constant when the bike works under your arm and legs. And if you go on a very short bike, then you have, um, I don't know how you call that in English, but you have more of, uh, of wingling from front and rear unbalanced situation. So that's yeah. why for one size definition, we say, well, Go, going into the direction of downhill and enduro, we need to increase by 10 or 15 mil the reach to be able to provide more stability to the guys and just ride harder. Yeah. yeah. And it's got this um, flip chip as well, which can, I think, raise or lower the bottom bracket, which obviously has a little bit of effect on head angle too. Yes. And I guess that helps improve or increase the versatility of the bike because you, if you're riding on trails with a lot of obstacles and you're, you're hitting pedals quite often, I guess you could it up or if you're riding more where a lower bottom bracket better cornering and everything kind of is more valuable than you can drop it down do you think we'll see more and more adjustment on trail bikes as we move forwards like it, it, it seems to be a good way to add versatility to a bike but obviously you have to physically change something to to make it different i suppose yeah well what what you have to know is that the complexity of designing a bike is also um really based well, on, on, on the riders, the men, but also the place they ride. Like if I give you an example, riding here in the south of France in the, in the steep, uh, in the steep Alps, well, surely you want to have a low BB and a very slack and angle. But if you ride in the center of France, you, or certain parts of the, of the UK, you are in a lot of flatter area where loading the front will be a lot harder. 
Mm-hmm. So based, based on this, you, you do need, when you approach the consumer, to say, well, okay, we provide one bike, we design by bike, but what is that going to be actually fitting properly your requirement? And the requirement are not only based on the technical skills of the riders or, or, or the, of what they want to do, but also based on the terrain they're riding. So yeah, for sure, in downhill, we could see a lot of um, adjustment going from head angle to chain stay lengths to BB height, etc., because it was needed based on the track you were racing on. And this is definitely slowly going into enduro and into trail bike, without a doubt, because technology are there to make it simple, light and efficient. And do you, do you think there are other things we'll see coming into this sort of do-it-all bike category over the next, say, five to ten years? What What kind of changes in technology or in the way the bikes will look can you see coming? Well, you know, when we when we designed the shapeshifter on the Strive back in the days, um, we we were definitely aiming into a direction to show the possibility to have a bike change uh, when when it was going to go up or to go down. And um, I'm not saying that it's going to go in, in in this way for all bikes in in the time, but I do imagine that having a um, head angle adjustment and chain stay lengths and the possibility to to have your BB height the way you wanted it, it's going to be something that's going to appear more and more as it becomes. In, in, in a great design and, and easy to handle for the consumer in the future. So yes, for sure, uh, I do imagine that we're going to see a lot more of that because consumers love this. They love to be able to adapt the bikes to themselves. We are all geeks of technology and we all want to improve and try things out. And uh, and uh, above just doing suspension test settings today, there is not much we can do. A tire pressure, suspension setting on your bike, that's it. So if we give the possibility to consumer to play around with all the things, I do imagine that it's also a best way to get them at the right compromise of the type of riding they're doing, the type of terrain they're riding, and their capacity and abilities on the bike. Yeah. And do, do you think we'll see things like the kind of more adaptive suspension, like Fox Live Valve and things like that? Do you think we'll see that become more mainstream? There is a good chance that we have um, we will have more and more adaptation uh, on by the bike himself, I would say intelligent adaptation from the bike on the um, on the terrain. I think we will see that in the future coming, because obviously one thing that we know is that electronic is massively part of our world today. We can see it coming with the e-bike, but we could see it also with uh, with a certain intelligence through the suspension that uh, we, we have seen some with some brand trying to approach all those uh, all those technology. And uh, there is a good chance that in the future we will have this as we have on formula one on wrc car today there is a good chance nice so with the you know the spectra it's obviously a super versatile bike and um and it's clearly an enduro race capable bike um at, at certain levels do you think any of your riders will be tempted to use that for any of the ews rounds or would they always favor the strive just for that extra bit of travel well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very frank and transparent on that, uh, is that um, obviously there is a big marketing impact and the decision also made from the brand out there. But all I can tell you is that on a pure racing performance uh, point of view at the moment, uh, yes, there is a massive interest to use the, the Spectral on certain races and stages because it is clearly more performant uh, on, on certain type of terrain, for sure. Interesting. And just let me check in my own head. It, it, you, you can't change bike for stage at the moment, can you? You have to run the no, same bike. No, no, no. The bikes, you have to, to run the same bike for the complete race. Yeah, You have to so use the same yeah. bike, same fork, same wheels for the complete race. That That's part of yeah. Enduro. Yeah. So yeah, you, the so only thing is you can choose your bike before the race. Uh-huh. Uh, but then once the race is on, uh, we, we are stickers on the bikes and you're not allowed to change them. Yeah. So it'd be a case of working out what the right compromise is. Like if there's some state, like three out of the five stages would suit the spectral more than the strive, then maybe yeah. you'd go that way. Yeah. And I, I can, I can talk frankly about it is the, the spectral is very, very efficient uh, bike and, and uh, very supportive kinematic as I explained. So the bike itself is providing a lot of speed and doing very, very good time on the stages. But um, when it becomes long, and when uh, when it, it becomes, uh, I would say, more on the edge, the bike is more demanding. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I would say that the, the strive with being a bit more linear through the suspension is more forgiving and maybe not as efficient in certain sections when the spectral is absolutely a weapon of choice when it's the moment to generate speed. Yeah. But, then, but then you have to keep up with it. 
So yeah, I, would, yeah. I would say it's all a matter of a compromise and uh, the setup and the spec that has been done, obviously, on the consumers are radically different than what we actually approach for racing. Because you do imagine that we, we build up with quite some more dumping, more ramp ups through the suspension and the shock. And sometimes we even actually modify the rocker to slightly ramp up the kinematic for, um, for, for top athletes. So this yeah. can frequently happen. Uh, but yeah, uh, again, that, that's, that's a bike that can be brought everywhere. <laughs> interesting watch this space yeah but look forward to seeing uh seeing where it gets ridden in in 2021 yeah. we'll chat a little bit about 2021 how's how's the race preparation going kind of from your side are we expecting the season to happen as it is on the calendar at the moment have you heard anything about that it's uh, it's a really hard one uh, to be honest um we have done the choice of uh, the i mean the work actually of of logistic uh, last year at least three or four times from things changing all the time and it's been very complicated and yeah everyone is a bit on the toes at the moment where we're trying to actually um not step ahead too far for one simple reason is that in the case you actually uh, have another change it, it will be an issue to redo everything and the way we invest the money to book everything is uh, is, is a bit of a challenge so we do we do uh careful at the moment quite a bit and um we we still on our toes yeah mm-hmm do you have any issues with getting stock for the team? Because I know a lot of stuff is kind of sold out. There's huge weights for things. Are you guys able to get everything you need? Well, first of all, yeah, we, we anticipate quite a lot. And as you can imagine, we, we keep some stock from one year to the other to, to anticipate mm-hmm. those kind of situation. Um, but at the moment, no, um, our our brands and, and the brands that are supporting us are very uh, very good to us and, uh, and, and we plan everything and forecast to receive everything on time. So I would say so far, so good. Excellent. And what, what kind of stuff are the riders up to at the moment? Can you talk a bit about kind of where they're at in their programs? Well, at the moment, they, they don't like me too much. I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, we actually changed, uh, quite, quite, quite few things. We, we brought up different competencies within the structure, especially on the physical aspect and, uh, and yeah, we, um, as, as I say, I'm really trying to build the team, uh, in, in, the, in, in a great way and to be able to, to bring uh, everything we can to our athletes. And, uh, I did want it to step in the physical aspect and, uh, we, we changed the way to work with most of our riders. And, uh, yeah, at, at the moment, they're training hard. Uh, we're really trying to set up their cardio base to be able to uh, to crank up uh, our work in February and March as uh, as obviously the season is being announced quite late. So uh, I, I don't think we'll see anything happening before May, if not later than this. Yeah. And are there any plans to try and get the riders into Europe onto some World Cup worthy tracks ahead of then? Or is that going to prove a bit difficult? Well, we like obviously the the problem is not so much to bring the riders over a year. The, the main problem is to send them back home, and uh, yes. obviously you do know that get, getting people away from their family and their comfort uh, before the season, because after during the season they stay quite a long time. Uh, it's um, away from the house. It's uh, it's a bit of a tough one at the moment. So no, at the moment we really trying to work things out for them to be independent, to bring them as much knowledge, as much product and um, work visio as much as we can to be able to do so. And this is, uh, this is what we are aiming for at the moment. Yeah. Excellent. Well, yeah, fingers crossed it. Yeah. It all goes to plan and we get an exciting 2021 season with a bit more racing than we had in 2020. I really hope so. Not, really hope so. Not, not in the winter. <laughs> let's talk about the downhill side of things who do you see as the kind of the biggest threats outside of the canyon team for both the the men's and the women's side of the sport well there, there is there is surely uh as you could see um i mean uh we don't know what to expect with amory going back after mm-hmm. obviously this injury that he had uh, I, I can imagine the beast of him to come back with the same dynamism and commitment that he had in the past. But I mean, going back to, from an injury is always something really hard and, and that, that, you know, so it's really hard to know, but yeah, you, you do, you do know where, where low extent and how much he pushes. We have seen the Matt Walker doing an amazing end of a season right there. I'm not sure what to expect with, uh, with obviously Danny going on cube. Which, which yeah. is going to be a new challenge for him, a new bike. And, uh, I, I would like to have uh, a very deep thoughts, uh, about Dan that, uh, Dave, sorry, that, um, that passed away 
yeah. recently, and that actually brought an amazing work to Danny at the best of his career. So uh, rest in peace, Dave, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, all the best to uh, the people that are staying, unfortunately, with us um, through through this uh, through this challenge. And uh, yeah, we, we we did have um, we we do imagine obviously. Greg to see where he stands and see how much he can still push him. He did a great end of a season. So I would say that um, we can see Greg staying on our bike. We know Loic know his bike and where to perform. We do know uh, Matt Walker where he's going to stay and how he's going to push. So for sure, those those value there will always be there without a doubt and, and, and competitive. And uh, I do hope to, to have Troy obviously uh, fighting out there as well. Yeah. What about Loris? Because that's, I mean, he's yeah. he's shown his capability, but it's a big change for him. I think pretty well, much. I was, I was, I was, I was going. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to bring the topic there. He's like uh, he moves obviously from Fox to Rockshock. He, he moves to uh, the different wheel set. He changed the complete chassis of his bike. Uh, all his outfits. So it's it's a complete new game for him. It's, uh, I mean. Obviously, Trek is a world champion bike. We we did talk about the worlds and how it was there, but we do know how much the the Santa Cruz bikes uh, has been winning in the past and how many races they actually won with this bike as well. So, I would say, yeah, it's um, it's it's a big challenge for him out there. Uh, but he shows, and he have been showing in 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 the past how much he is capable of now setting a bike up that didn't win yet at the exception of the world let's put it this way uh will, will be a, will be a complete different work and different game and um, it will be very much independent compared to obviously at santa cruz where he had he had the lucky chance to work with steve that was for me one of the best if not the best knowledge out there on the on the circuit yeah, definitely. And what about in the women's? It's going to be a, a really strong lineup for 2021, isn't it? Yeah, it will be. It will be. Well, I um, I mean, Pompon has been absolutely uh, doing amazing over the last two, three years and, and going back and being super strong out there. And uh, and I do opt on it to, uh, to, be, to be competitive in the longer side and be actually super good to be able to perform and, uh, and push uh, massively to, to get those first place in the, on, the, on the podium. Yeah, and Valley moving across, Rachel coming back. Hopefully, there's uh, and then some of the, the the kind of the newer names as well, like Nina Hoffman and those those people really pushing from last season and carrying some momentum. Quite excited to see how that that pans out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I do see to be honest, and uh, from being on the side of the track, I, I do I do imagine Miriam and Tani to be quite above the game with Valley also out there. Very, very competitive with a certain amount of skills that can that can be quite on top of the game. Uh, out, but but then again, it's it's a matter of putting good runs together. Even if the technical capacity at the woman level now of everyone has been has been rising over the last um, three or four years. Yeah, definitely exciting times. And what about on the enduro world series side of things? Well, I mean, I'm guessing Inners isn't racing in 21 is that fair she's taking no. some time out uh, yeah to have a baby. She, will, she will be exactly yeah that's that's totally correct yeah on the ews i mean you have, you have seen isabo actually doing doing an amazing work yeah unfortunately cecile is not racing anymore either um and and we've seen isabo really being on the top of the game but morgan also being super competitive uh, along on on the side yeah. so uh, th- there is uh, there is a lot of interest and uh, out there and we we can potentially so I see, sorry, some uh, some new young woman coming to compete at the highest level. From the rumors of what I heard, that there is a possibility to to see young women out there. Cool. And in the men's, I mean, Sam had a year away, given the, the the struggles of getting out and back into Australia, which is fair enough. Do you think he'll be back at the top, or you know, obviously Jack has has got to be one of the key threats to be up there. You've got Jesse coming off good momentum from last year, Martin back. It's uh, again a tight field. Yeah, it will be. You're totally right. I, I do expect a big battle on the men. I mean, I'm not worried for Sam at all, knowing his experience on the on the bike and, and what he can put on. I, I know that he will come back strong. And for sure, as you mentioned, Jesse out there and Martin will be, uh, I think, the, the, the biggest challenger uh, for Jack. Uh, to compete and uh, let's not uh, put away even if there is a bit of a lack of a constant consistency right now how there with uh, with Adrian Dai was was as is having a massive peak speed on the bike and uh, and that can uh, if he puts it together can actually be competitive with with the big guns on the front as well 
So yeah, it, it will be a tight field. Uh, we we will see the Frenchies, uh, uh, Florian and Dimitri just right close behind and and maybe playing in the pack as well. So yeah, we will have um, a top ten that will be very exciting. I think. Great stuff. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Fabian. It's always exciting catching up and finding out what you've been up to. So yeah, that's fing- my pleasure. Yeah, fingers crossed we get a full and fun season and hopefully yeah. see you at some races. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Thank you for your time and uh, let's catch up sometime soon. Nice one. Cheers. Cheers, Chris. Bye. All right, that's it for this episode with Fabian. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode. If you want to save on their awesome wheels or their depackaged bar and stem, then as a downtime listener, you can get 15% off for the whole of January using the code 2021. Here we go at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. That's 2021. Here we go. All lowercase or one word. You've only got a few days left, so head over to weareonecomposites.com right now. Also, a massive thanks to Canyon for supporting this episode of the show. As you know, I've had a great time riding their new sender last year. And if you're looking for a new downhill bike, then the good news is they've got them in stock. Don't hang around, though. Head over to canyon.com now and check them out. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then you can grab yourself a T-shirt, sweatshirt or hoodie by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop, where all the proceeds go to help improve the podcast. You know what to do by now. Please keep on spreading the word about the podcast. Tell your rider mates and share the episodes on your social media. Everything you can do to get the word out massively helps me keep this thing going. Also, if you've got a couple of minutes, a review on iTunes is really helpful too. All right, there's going to be another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride. (laughs)